As we've shared and has been noted already, we're in the middle of our series of looking out. Um, and this week we get to look. And this whole idea of project and people. And when you look at the again, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? I'm hopefully going to explain what it looks like and how it works out. But I need to tell you a few little stories first. So today is going to be a little bit of my journey on how people became projects, and then I started to see them as individuals and people. So I became a Christian when I was 14, 15. Um, I knew it was the right thing to do, but I had this problem that I'd become a Christian and my life didn't change. Nothing was different. I swore less, but I was still broken. The good news was a slow burner. And I know for some people, when they have a conviction, that moment, it's transformational. Mine was, I know it makes sense. I'm going to become a Christian. But everything else was just slow. It wasn't like Paul on the road and he gets blind and then transformation occurs. Mine was, I don't want to die without going to heaven. That was it. That was the simple way why I became a Christian when I was 14. So when people started talking about this story that we share, I didn't really think I had a story. Because that doesn't really sound like the Gospels or the Bible that I'd started to read. So... I was still very broken inside and embarrassed, or maybe too proud to share that I was a Christian. For the first two years, nobody would have known that I actually was a Christian, except for my family, because they thought I joined a cult, because I went to church more regularly than I did before. Um, so I didn't just go on Saturday evening or Friday evening, I went on Sunday morning. So if I went then as well, it must be something worse. Um, so that was it, that's really how my family knew. Um, and my mum gave me some very sound advice, as you've joined the cult, don't give them all your money. Um, and that was generally how my mum introduced me to going to church. So that was my sort of dilemma as becoming a Christian. I'd become a Christian, and I believe at that time I was, but I didn't see much change. What I did start to see, and what was fed into my story as an early age, was I needed to stay away from non-Christians, because they are bad. They will lead me astray. I had to get rid of my Nirvana CD, never mind, and I had to remove any pictures of cars with ladies in appropriate clothes lying on top. That's what I got told to do. So my Ferrari F40 poster was taken off the wall. I had a picture of a Apache helicopter as well. I was really a good teenage lad, um, and I had to get rid of them because non-Christians are bad. But I started to start to hear these stories in the Bible and the Gospels, because that's what I started reading, because as a Christian, you don't go to the Old Testament. I got told to read the New Testament first. And I saw Jesus mentioning and meeting with people and his disciples sitting and having dinner, chatting, listening, getting on boats with people. I wasn't sure who these tax collectors were, but I'd heard about prostitutes. Jesus and his friends met with these people, but my church was encouraging me necessarily to move away from them. Teaching on a topic was given, but 
but I didn't see any examples. I didn't see how people lived their lives, how they shared the 110 hours they lived the rest of the week. I saw Sunday mornings and this Christian idea. So I started to live like that. I copied, I dressed up better for Sundays. Started not meeting with non-Christians. I started going to more church groups. And then when I was in year 11 at school, I went to um, Christians and Sport Mission. I can't remember what school it was at, but it was in Bury. It wasn't the first one, I'm sure it was in Kex. The one, I don't know, by the college, that one. Okay. Um, so some of this changed, so I went to this mission. They talked about faith differently and being like Jesus. So I took it more seriously. I started to try and live a life that matched what I heard in the Bible rather than what I'd seen before. Um, and I even went to a few more Christian things. I went to see you, because obviously that makes me a better Christian. And I met my wife. So there are many good things that come out of going to see you. Sorry, Anna, this bugged me earlier. Um, Bas Adol, missing a. Um, so I met Anna, and the rest of it is history. We've been happily married for many, many years. Oh, easy math. <laughs> Um, but my faith changed again, because having been to this big event and then filled out the auditorium, I knew what it meant to become a Christian and share your faith. You invite somebody to a big event and somebody does it for you. That's what it means to be Christian. So I learned, keep away from non-Christians, but if you do, bring them to a big event and somebody else will do it for you. And I'd heard all these Billy, Billy Graham people and had gone to concerts and the football stadiums, and that reminded me, yes, that's how you do it. The Wesleys, Whitfield, Brian Habonke, all these big evangelists, you bring your non-Christians to a big event and they'll look after it for you. But I kept on coming back to the story. And the story we see in the Gospels is that Jesus walked with people and shared lives. So I had this disconnect, which didn't make sense. It wasn't right. I'm seeing this idea of church and what I've been shown through the Christian walk, but actually what I read in the Bible still didn't match what I was seeing. And at this, um, I went to a J. John um, mission in Bury, and we got to wear high-vis hats that says Jesus saves at the front. And that was another stage of my development of mission. I don't want to go back to that one, um, wearing a Jesus saves high-vis yellow hat. Um, but it was amazing to see Jay John and listen. We did stuff through the days and then brought people to this big event in the evening. And I remember it one day very specifically because I went in there and I saw one of the same guys from that I worked with. I went, amazing, he's come. He might hear about Jesus. Because I haven't obviously told him about it because you don't tell your people you work with about Jesus. And then I found out he was a Christian. No. So I've been working with three people one of the guys was a Christian, and then I found out the other person in the office was a Christian too. Amen. But none of us had ever mentioned it at all. We'd worked in the same office for the last two years, from eight in the morning to six o'clock at night, and I'd never known they were Christian. But it wasn't that I didn't know they were Christians. I hadn't mentioned that I was a Christian. This gap between our secular world and our church world needed to change because so I kept on coming back for the story in the Bible, this divide that my church, my lives, my interests were completely divided. Ooh. 
creating two sides of my life. And I don't think in any way the church is intended to create this dual version. I don't think it was ever set out to create it like this. But when I look back through my life, I can see how my family life and my church life were two separate things. They didn't cross over. And I was just like, come on, this has got to be different. This has got to be, it can't keep so far away. I can't put on my cape every time. Oh, there's that picture of the cape. This is what it felt like every time I went to evangelize or talk to somebody about Jesus. I would get all the nerves in my stomach. I'd get prepared. I'm going to mention Jesus today. I'm going to do it. And then I go away because obviously I wasn't so confident in my cape. So I felt like I dressed up to evangelize, to be that courageous, to get that exciting hit. Yes, I can do it. And I went on missions and started doing mission work. So survivor um, message. And I did trips around the UK doing mission. And I donned the cape. I was amazing. I looked good. No, I didn't. Um, but I would go into poor areas in Manchester or Liverpool or different areas. And I'd talk about Jesus all day. And it was so natural and so wonderful. And then I went to work the following week. So what did you do last week? Oh, I camped. I didn't share anything about what I'd done. When I went to church, like, you'll never guess what I saw God do. But when I talked to my friends and my work, it was like, what did you do? I went camp with some friends. It was really good. Have time. This disparity that was created again, and I don't believe it was done intentionally by churches. It was done in my story and how I saw the gap appear. And this gap became really, really big. And it came to a point where I suppose I had some convictions to try and work out what to do. Because I could see what God could do through mission. I could see what he could do with people. But I'd made people projects. Somebody to save. Somebody to convert. I became less interested in the individual, more about whether I can get him to sign on the line or make a commitment. And I suppose God spoke to me quite harshly sometimes um, about saying, is that what I intended? And I was going, but God, look how good it's been. I've been so good. Bish, bash, boom. You know, I was flying. People becoming Christians. But he goes, but is that what I asked you to do? Is that what the Great Commission was? And the answer is no. Yes, people becoming saved. Yes, people hearing about Jesus. Maybe not all in the right ways. Because I was just so desperate, feeling the need, I had to say everything in one go. I'd lit my match, I'd give my testimony, hadn't burned my fingers, got to the end of it. But actually, I hadn't valued the individual at all. I hadn't loved them in any of this process. And there's this quote that I've been living with. Um, it says, live in a way that reflects the master's intentions. And this comes back to the Bible verses we're going to look at a little bit now is that did my life replicate what the Gospels and the New Testament showed, or was it what the church had created for me? And the sad reality was, is that I'd become churchified, not Christian. I wasn't modelling the intentions that Jesus had given me. Some of it was, I think I was trying to be somebody else. And I think a lot of the stuff with the evangelism, I'm not sure if we go back into this in the following weeks, but I I thought, because I saw something that worked, I had to create that and replicate what that model was. At no stage did I ask God, what do you want me to be in this situation? Use my gifts. And that comes back to what um, 
Matt mentioned, yes, that's my story much, I've said that. Comes back to the bit that um, Matt shared last week. And these are just five different examples. Um, Paul speaking in Athens, Dorcas was, I'll bring up the mic. Paul speaking in Athens, the whole idea of intellectual discussion. The blind man, John 8, was testimonial, telling the story. Um, Matthew, Levi, was hospitality. Dorcas was service. And then the last one was the Samaritan woman at the World Invitational. I had thought that I wanted to be whatever the best one was to get the results. Projects. But God said to me quite clearly when I started to really unfold this, is does my story match what I've asked of you? I was trying to be something that God had not created me to be, someone else. And he was showing me many pages of his story and I'd fixated on one. So when we read the Gospels, when we read the book of Acts, we see Jesus sharing and walking with people in so many different ways. But the way that I'd done is the way that I'd done, the way that I did it, was fixate on one, because that was the best one. At no stage did I ask God, what do you want of me? How do you want me to be sharing with people around me? And that was a fundamental change in how I looked at this topic. I don't need a cape. I don't need two sides of my life. What you see is all of me. And it was a cognitive decision. It was a changing mentality that was how Okay, well, I can mention Jesus there if I want. Or do I? Well, actually, do I just mention Jesus because he's part of my day? Asking somebody how they're doing. And we've all been there going, do I say I'm praying for them? Or is, say, if I say I'm praying for them, make it too scary. Have I crossed a line that's make us a bit too much? And God said to me quite clearly, you can't have two sides of your faith. You can't have the church and then your rest of your life. You have to have one. And I've been working through that, and I wish I had more time to try and expand on what that looks like. But I think for all of us, that will be different. At this point, before we look at these brief verses, remember, you don't need to be somebody else when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing your story with being with people around you. God created you to be you, to share in the way that suits you. The woman at the well. We heard um, Matt speak about this last week a little bit. He listened. He sat. He didn't comment straight away. And then he asked a question. It wasn't a deep theological question. He asked a question. He cared for the woman. He saw her need and saw who she was. It's one of the things that I had to learn to see the individual that I'm speaking to not what I can do for them, to listen and hear what they've got to say. So a lot of the times the first point is we've got to actually ask and hear. Jesus and the tax collectors, I know very much who they are now, but they were people that society didn't like, society didn't want to be around, especially the church. Pharisees would not spend time with them. And we heard the story last week about being invited around for dinner and all the religious leaders were upset that Jesus was meeting with his people. And it goes back to some of the story for me when I first became a Christian about non-Christians are bad. That's not how Jesus modeled it. 
Jesus modelled that he walked and spoke to people that he saw in his day-to-day lives, irrelevant of their background. Not having two sides. Jesus, if you put people in my life that are not who I'd normally spend time with, then I will speak to them, because that's who you put in my line. There's an interesting story in Acts 3, 1 to 10, about the crippled beggar with Peter and John. Now, this event happened outside of church. He was sitting by one of the walls, by one of the gates. And you can read the story for yourself a bit more. Um, but Peter and John reacted. Now, this was a place where this beggar, and again, this bit, I'm being a bit creative in this, would have sat and been around for many, many weeks. The Christians, the people in the church, had gone to the synagogue, heard about God and walked past this person, possibly many, many times. And yet he didn't, they didn't respond. Even Jesus could have walked past this person. Yet he didn't respond, Peter and John did. And I wonder sometimes when we think about people versus projects, is well, how much time do I spend with this person? Are they the right person? How, how long do I have this friendship with? And so much, and as we're singing the songs, it talks about the discernment on here. It talks about the spirit and um, learning and knowing the right people to spend time with. We're not called to look after every single person we meet. And that's really hard to try and work out who the right people are. But I believe God makes it very clear, as he did to Peter and John on that day, as he passed that crippled burial, who the right people were. And he stopped them and he healed them. He spoke into his life and his life completely changed. But we don't have to be all things to every single person. This is where discernment, this is where us listening to God helps us see the difference. Um, I came across this story a couple of weeks ago. um, And it's from uh, a story about Pope John Paul II. So when he was just in ministry, a father in a local um, church, um, he didn't simply schedule tasks at a parish and wait for people to come in. He went out and got involved in their lives. He planned outdoor excursions involving kayaking, camping, hiking, and skiing. My saga. He entered the lives of young people who joined him, getting to know their hopes, dreams, and fears, how they lived their friendships, their struggles, and in dating relationships, and they made moral choices. He truly shared life with them. They sang, they laughed, they told jokes, they recited poetry. And I can't say his name properly, but this is St. John Paul. was a master of accompaniment, walking with people amid their daily joys and struggles and witnessing Christ's love for them. He said that God called him to live with people everywhere, to be with them in everything but sin. One friend said of him, we felt that we could discuss anything with him. We could talk about absolutely anything. Others said that he'd mastered the art of listening, that he was always interested and he always had time. Another simply said he lived our problems. And it goes on to say, after years of serving as a priest and then taking the position as a pope, and it talks about many of his friends wondered whether this new responsibility would destroy their friendship. One even said they'd lost it. Only a little while later, they found themselves invited to the Vatican. Each year, with his schedule as Pope, he made time for them in Rome. Just before he died, he sent one last message to the same old friends he loved and cared for 
as these men and women bearing them with them wasn't part of his job, a program he was working on, or a task to be completed. He genuinely loved these people and invested his life in them. And I think that speaks a lot about this concept of projects or people. We are called to invest in people. And I'm, there are lots of questions around this. And as much as I've been thinking about what does it look like and what do we do and what the Bible says and how we see the model put out, I think there's just three things that I'd love to finish with. And this is this. God has called me, or you, to love the people he puts into our paths, to reflect the many ways that and things he did. My job is to listen to what God is asking of me today and which way to respond. And it goes back to some of the things that the guys have already shared, the teachers, which is phenomenal. Because there'll be people that I'll walk through past one day that I will not speak to. And there'll be other people another day that I will. And I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to see them as projects thinking I've got to do something. It's about me listening and hearing what God is asking me to do. Whether it's at the end of a cycle ride yesterday, I think I could go home. But I think I should have a coffee with these guys. One of them went away, and I said, oh, I've got it right. And then I sat and chatted with this young lad, um, and we had a coffee, and he was just sharing that his partner, wife's mum's just had brain tumor, and she said, um, treatment. And he said, it's been really hard, we don't know who to speak to, or how to speak about it. So I said, well, tell me what's been going on. And in that moment, I was thinking, he was not the person I was thinking God had given me that day. But he was the person God put before me. So I just listened, I heard, and we ate. Sorry, we did that cake as well. And I was reflecting, I said, I think it was scary for me to begin with this because I'd got used to the cape and the rush of just always going out and doing and having the two different lives because the two lives helped me keep. I didn't have to have the two come together. I could go and do mission, I could go overseas. I could go into um, estates in London and Manchester, Liverpool, and have conversations about God and see kids converted and see churches changed. And I loved it, it was amazing. But the problem was it created this false size version of me. Because that's not who I, that didn't really allow me to be me. It created more gap between how I share my faith and who I am with non-Christians. So for you this morning, you don't have to have a cape, although they are quite amazing. I think I could rock a cape. Um, you don't need one. And you don't need two sides of your life. Church may have created that. But the thing I really pray and challenge you over this week to think about and pray into is for God to try and break that down so you don't have two sides. It's just one. You're naturally you in church. You're naturally you in your work, in your to your neighbours, to the people around you. And I was looking at this question, what does it look like for you, for me, today, tomorrow, or yesterday? And my deep theological response is this. It's different. And I'm happy to speak and chat with people and that we can explore what it looks like and how it could look like for you. But as we think about the thing about projects or people, remember what we've been asked to do. 
is ask us to walk alongside, get to know, listen to their story, and then ask God what he wants to say, how he wants to respond. And it may be by giving your testimony, and I've done that in the last couple of weeks. It may be just listening to the difficulties. It may be nothing, which sometimes is scary for us. It may be we just have to listen and go, thank you for sharing. Thanks for trusting me with that information. And there's two bits I'm going to finish with. And I was thinking about this around church. Church used to be the big thing for me growing up. It's where the thing I found where God was and how I was attracted to it. And there's a great saying that came out. is that training prepares us for the game. But I thought the game was Sunday morning. And I think over these last couple of months and years, I've realized that the game is Monday to Saturday. Sunday is where I come and I practice and I spend time with my family and my friends. It's where I hear about God. It's here about what he's challenging me to do. It's where I feel empowered, envisioned, excited to go back out. The game is Monday to Saturday. It is not Sunday morning. And this little caveat, because Anna has kept on asking me this question this week, so I can blame her for this bit. Not blame. Yeah. When we look at people rather than as, as projects, the big question is how long do you stay committed to an individual? How long do you stay dedicated to trying to help somebody out? And because sometimes we feel the responsibility to constantly just be involved because if we move away, they might not have anybody to be there for them, be Christ in their environment. And as I was pondering through this and trying to think of an answer to give back to Anna, um, I was reminded of the seeds and how we are asked to plant and sow. And I don't know the whole process of what goes on as in when we sow seeds. Sometimes we get people in the higher up on the growth, sometimes at the beginning. But I don't have to worry about how they grow. My responsibility is that moment of just staying alongside when they do. And if I get feel like God's asking me to stop seeing that person or spending time with them, then I trust God that he's putting somebody else in their journey. Because I'm not the person that saves somebody. I'm not the person who brings them in that last bit. Sometimes it might be. But... <laughs> I think the church is more of a beautiful image when lots of people speak into somebody's life, lots of people interested in somebody until they make that decision. And then afterwards we do the same. So that is, I think, oh, I've got to my slides out there. So I've loved looking at this, and I apologise, most of it seems like I was talking about myself. But I think most of us will sympathise and understand and see their own journeys in some of this, of how churches talked about evangelism or witnessing or sharing. And we're reading um, a book as part of this LSE course, and you've seen the way we've done things differently in the minute before church. That is because I think we are being challenged as a church to do these things differently, to find our voice, to find our way in which we are to share with other people. And this morning, hear it from the front, you don't have to be somebody else. God doesn't like imposters when it comes to this. He wants you to be you. And he wants you to hear what he has to say into this and hear what he wants you to be in these moments. So I'm going to pray and then pass it to us. Father, I thank you that 
as I've looked into this this week, as we've been preparing, as we've been looking at the different texts that you've been reminding me of my story and how I've got it wrong, how I may have gone down rabbit holes in certain ways, trying to work out how you is the best way. But Father, I thank you how you humble us and you come alongside us and ask us to stop, to hear what you are saying, to hear what you have to say into this situation. And Father, I know that I'm nowhere near the finished article, as none of us would say we are. So Father, I pray that you would help us be gentle with this as we learn this, as we walk through this, as we are challenged, as we think about the way that we have learned things. Help us to be brave, help us to be courageous, to see a different way. Remove the rubbish and the dross that stops us being who you have asked us to be. For the moments where we feel we have to be somebody else in a situation. Help us to know that we are being called to be ourselves in this moment. Father, I thank you that you valued the individual. That you spent time with the one to hear their story. And for us as church leaders, we have commissioned our teachers who have thought about them going back into the schools this week. Lord, help them to have that insight, that wisdom, that discernment, to know how to speak in moments that seem different or not sure what you're doing. And Father, help us to trust you and trust the process that you are working around us. In Jesus' name, amen.